You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 12, today we are in Nîmes. Hello, my name is Richard Moore. I'm with award-winning writer, uh, Francois Thomas, a winner of the Prix Godet. The, uh, your name is up in lights in the, the press room at the Tour de France. Oh. Yeah, I, I thought you were about to say uh, award-winning writer Lionel Bernie. No, no, I'm getting to him in a moment. <laughs> um, award-winning writer. It's great to be in the company of an award-winning writer and award-winning photographer Lionel oh, Bernie. Oh. <laughs> well, come on, Lionel. I mean, it's true. It is <laughs> it's true. true. You told me about this yesterday. Yeah, I won the. Uh, a, a category in the Redbourne Village Photography Competition a little bit earlier this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon I, Gill, watch your back. Uh, well, he's not very happy there was about a, this. There was, a, <laughs> was he not? There's no. a cyclist in your picture. There was. I took a cycling-themed picture of a rider going past some daffodils. I entered the spring category, and um, <laughs> I won. Extraordinary. What did you win? A, what did you win for that? Um, I've won some vouchers to spend in some of the village shops. Does that make you a professional photographer? I guess it does. I mean, I'm being awarded for my work as a photographer. You're better paid than some of them. <laughs> no, that's, that's hard. But how many other phot photographs were there in the spring category? Oh, loads. Uh, I mean, um, just before I came out to the tour... By the way, that wasn't a harsh comment on photographers. That was a comment on, on people using their photographs without paying them, uh, which or, we don't do. Or the general state of the industry at, at large, yeah. maybe. <laughs> um, well, Francois, there were loads of entries, and they were all displayed in the village um, over the weekend. The Tour de France started so uh, we went down and had a look and my picture was there taking pride of place yeah. and yet you admitted to me that you didn't think it was very good well I was surprised I won <laughs> I <laughs> must admit but, that's, you know, why, that's why you didn't come to the Tour de France in the first place yeah. you were waiting for the um, award oh, ceremony <laughs> maybe he was out there taking more award winning photographs yeah. who knows anyway I mean wonderful uh, no no it's great Lionel we all I think share in your success I know professional photographers always uh, balk when people say to them, oh, that's a great picture, you must have a really good camera. Yeah, um, my brother I should doesn't say, like that, he's a photographer. Uh, yeah, it, the, I'm quite understandably, the, the photographers don't like that. Um, my picture was taken on an iPhone, so I didn't have a really great camera. Well, Lionel, you're a very good podcaster because you have an excellent microphone. And, uh, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to hear that now because you're going to give us a tale of the attap. Well, where are we first, Richard? We're in Nîmes, and we'll hear a little bit more about where we are and why we're here later in the episode. Okay, well, stage 12 then, from Saint-Paul-Trois-Châteaux to Nîmes, 159 kilometres, flat, cross-tail wind, um, oh, dog barking in the background there, um, cross-tail wind, so much so that they move the, four, the, the start back 10 minutes, uh, anticipating a fast stage, absolutely nailed on for a sprint finish, obviously, except no. It wasn't a sprint finish at all, and much to my surprise, I must admit. Um, but the peloton broke up in the wind pretty early on, and a break of 13 riders was established. And uh, there were some big hitters in there. Julian Alaphilippe, the world champion, on the attack again for De Kerning Quickstep. Who else was in there? Andre Greipel, um, probably one of the most experienced riders in the race. Edward in the world. In the world, yeah. Uh, fading force, of course. Well, he was a fading force about 10 years ago, was, according yeah, to the right. cycling podcast. Edvald Bosenhagen was in there. Edward Tones, Emmanuel uh, Erviti, Niels Pollitt, Stefan Kung, Stefan Bissiger, Connor Swift, Harry Sweeney, Brent Van Moor, 
Luka Mezgek and Sergio Anau were in that break and they were let go. They were away and their lead built and built and built. It was very quickly five minutes and ten minutes and then it was clear that the peloton had no interest in chasing them down and the shake-up came in the last 50 kilometres. One of the first little moves from the break was Connor Swift, our audio diarist, with the eventual stage winner, Niels Pollitt. Um, there was a counter-attack by Mezgek. Then uh, Sweeney and Alaphilippe and Henau and Kung were up the road. Um, but it all came down to a final four of Kung, Pollitt, Sweeney and Erviti. Uh, Sweeney tried to crack that with about 15 kilometres to go. That narrowed it down to just three. And Niels Pollitt picked his moment and soloed in from 12 to go to take his first Tour de France stage win, his first Grand Tour stage win, and only his second pro win, which surprised me. He won a stage of the Deutschland Tour a few years ago. And it bookended a day of um, bittersweetness for Bora Hansgrohe because their team leader, Peter Sagan, was a non-starter this morning. Francois was at the start and had a word with Sagan. Uh, he had a very swollen knee. and Francois took a picture, which we posted on Twitter a bit earlier, just to, uh, well, the hope for Sagan is that he will now recover and go to the Olympics in Tokyo. But uh, perhaps he came out with his knee on show so that people couldn't criticise him for pulling out of the tour early and disrespecting the race. Who knows? But uh, there we go. Niels Pollitt winning the stage. No sprint finish. Mark Cavendish's record that shall not speak its name will have to wait for another day. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Very grateful to them for their support. And uh, we're running competition in conjunction with them. Let's hear from another entrant. Uh, you can enter via our website, thecyclingpodcast.com. You'll see how to send us uh, a clip of audio, 60 seconds or less, telling us how and why you want to use Super Sapiens uh, for continuous glu blood glucose monitoring. Hi, my name is Will Griffiths, uh, and I've been a keen amateur cyclist for the last couple of years. And I've recently been training to do my first big sportive, uh, aiming to do the Fred Witten, which is in September. But unfortunately, I had a, an accident two and a half weeks ago, and I've broken my collarbone and, and eight ribs. And I'm actually going to have to have surgery on my collarbone because uh, it's quite a mess. Um, the reason I'm entering the competition is that I want to get fit again as soon as I can. And the Super Sapien system will help me to do that so that I hope to be able to do the Fred Witten next year. Um, when I'm actually back up and running. Anyway, um, thanks for all the podcasts. It's been really helping me through kind of prolonged stay in hospital and, and my recuperation and loving the tour coverage. Thanks. Bye. Thanks very much to Will. And if you'd like to enter the competition, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. And thanks once again to Super Sapiens. Looking forward to meeting some of the Super Sapiens team in Andorra on the next rest day on Monday. A few of them are coming over for the final week, so I'm looking forward very much to meeting up with them. Um, now, the stage, not what we expected. Niels Pollitt, a very good winner. It's funny because Francois was talking last night and, and you were too, Lionel, about the possibility of crosswinds and which teams might 
uh, turn the screw were there to be strong crosswinds and it occurred to me after we'd recorded that Bora Hansgrohe you know they mm. they they were would be a team that if they could get a you know split split it up and get Sagan in a, in a front group m- minus maybe some of the other sprinters um it, it could well be in their in their interest because until today when Sagan pulled out they they didn't have an awful lot happening in the race you know they've had a poor they've had a poor season actually and they were having a poor tour and it's another one of those scenarios, isn't it, where there's no way Niels Pollock would have won that stage had Sagan not pulled out this morning. I mean, we're seeing this time and time again. We saw it at the Giro with Barring uh, Victorious. We saw it here with Barring Victorious as well. And you see it again and again that riders win or perform well um, having been unshackled. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the uh, it, it's, it's funny because in, in a way uh, everything went... Unexpectedly, but in, in a way, the fact that Peter Sagan had quit uh, the Tour de France was another set for Matt Cavendish. Because the more the tour goes on, and and the fewer you know sprinters are left in the in the race, and it, there were there were a few ironical things. Uh, uh, and if you know, in the end, we didn't have that sprint that uh, might have you know brought the record, uh, nobody uh, can speak of. Uh, what record? <laughs> There's no record. But the reason why it didn't happen was also that, uh, that there were echelons at the start of the stage, uh, and then there was not a real echelon, there was just a breakaway. But one of the most active guys in the echelons, and at the start of the uh, breakaway, was Julian Philippe, who was part of the... And so, in a way, uh, Mark Cavendish was deprived of victory by his, his, you know, his, his one of his, well, luxury elite domestiques. Um, and, and in the end, Nils Pollitt only had his chance because his, his team leader uh, pulled out. Uh, to get back to uh, Peter Sagan pulling out, it was, it was quite, a, quite funny when I was in the mix zone. Uh, because I was there uh, talking to a, a journalist from L'Equipe, um, Dominique Isartel, who, who's covering the Slovenians in today Pogacar. And, and we were looking for riders to interview. And then a guy comes in the mix zone and she, say, and she, she says, who's this guy in, in, you know, with, a, with, a, with a football, uh, you know, with football shorts on and, and, and these strange t-shirts and his baseball cap? Is he a rider? And all of a sudden we realized it was Peter Sagan. And so we kind of rushed to see, because, you know, how, how come this... Out of context. Yeah, yeah, totally out of context. And so we thought, oh, maybe something's happening. And that's how, you know, we, we, we got near... And uh, had a chance to talk to him, but yeah, it was it was again, you know, Sagan. I mean, he did it the Sagan way, and in in, the, in a very elegant fashion, he really came on his own to speak to the press and to announce to to, to us that he was quitting. I, th- I think he probably did almost before he, he announced he announced it to the organisers because you spoke to François. Shall we hear a yeah, little sure. bit of what he said now? For the training, that's me. And uh, I think from there all the information just started. And uh, yesterday during the stage I had already pain, but I managed to finish the stage. And I cannot uh, stand up from the bed this morning. Then I think the best decision is uh, just uh, rest and uh, take care of my knee. And then we will see for Olympic Games. Well, disappointing. It's part of uh, our sport, you know. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. You know, the injuries and stuff it's, uh, together, you know, like uh, I am disappointing because uh, I'm going out from Tour de France and I'm not used to, you know, like this. And I don't like it, but, you know, it's part of the job. If I, I cannot uh, pedal it, uh, what sense has, you know, just to go on the start. Yeah. And uh, 
uh, yeah, I'm also sad for the team that now it's uh, very important to stage for the GC riders and uh, this was my part, you know, also to help uh, Wilco Kelderman to be out of the troubles and stay in the front with him. But, well, what can I do? Well, that was Sagan and then his teammate, Niels Pollitt, a really strong rider um, who's actually not as young as he was. <laughs> well, none of us are, Richard. Uh, but he's, uh, yeah, I, I, always, I had him sort of pegged as a, a young emerging rider. Um, he was second in Pirate Bay a couple of years ago, having been tipped to finish on the podium in that Pirate Bay by well, me. Well, he actually finished second at the, at the last Pirate Bay. Because well, it was yeah. the last Pirate Bay, yeah. <laughs> wow. My goodness, that seems like a long time no, ago. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Not the final Paris-Roubaix. <laughs> no, 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 there will be another one. Um, but he is a really strong rider and um, has obviously moved to a German team now. He's, he's a German rider, very close to Andre Greipel, who was in the breakaway. And Greipel spoke at the end about how much he'd helped him growing up. I guess he's you know a good 10, 11 years older than him. And he used to give him clo- clothing in the winter, to cycling clothing, to uh, train in and, and so on. Uh, so they're very close, and it seems that uh, he gave him a few uh, bits of advice in the breakaway. You know, they're very different talents, so they could almost work together. And Greipel said nobody was going to carry him to the finish. Um, so Pollitt had a, had a great chance of winning. He was clearly the strongest rider in the race. He put in an attack at 40-odd kilometers still to race. Uh, our diarist, Connor Swift, went with him, and we'll hear from Connor in a moment or two. But let's hear first from Ian Boswell, because it... it as whenever I see Pollitt racing, I always think back to a few years ago when Ian Boswell was keeping an audio diary for us at the Tour de France, and he was rooming with Niels Pollitt, and I remember him talking about how reluctant Niels Pollitt was to uh, take any part in his audio diaries that he was doing for the, the podcast. And in fact, I remember, I think there was one day they were around a swimming pool, and he was literally attempting to interview him, and Pollitt was just not responding at all, not playing ball at all. So I got in touch with Ian and asked him if he could tell us a little bit about Pollitt, who he is. Here's what he told us. Hey, Richard and everyone else at the Cycling Podcast. Ian Boswell here. Yeah, what a awesome victory from Niels Pollitt today. He was my teammate for two years at Katusha. We raced together in the 2018 Tour. He didn't start off as my roommate, but if you recall, we one by one lost riders on our team and eventually we're down to four riders. So I spent the last probably week and a half rooming with Niels, um, a great guy to be in a room with. He's very simple, very easy. And I was doing my own audio diary from the 2018 tour for the cycling podcast. And I tried to get Niels on a couple times and he, uh, yeah, he never really wanted to participate and he always gave me a hard time for, you know, doing the additional media that I was doing both with the cycling podcast and with the the breakfast with Boz. I was meeting a friend every day either at my hotel room or at the Start Village and and doing some additional podcasting and and Neil's uh yeah, in many ways is a is an old school cyclist. He likes to just keep it simple, keeps his head down, does his job, you know, and he knows he knows what he needs to do, knows what makes him happy and yeah, unlike uh, a lot of riders in the modern peloton, you know, he's not incredibly active on on social media or doesn't do his own podcast. He just uh, puts his head down, gets the job done, and that's what we saw today. So, congratulations to Niels. I was genuinely thrilled to see him take his first win at the Tour, and I hope this is just uh, the beginning of of more great things to come from him at Grand Tours. But I'd love to see him kind of reach his full potential at the the Classics as well, and with Perry Roubaix being pushed back to. October, we could see Niels once again up at the front contesting for 
another victory on roads that he loves. I know he loves the, yeah, the classics and, and, you know, just the nasty conditions. So, uh, yeah, congrats to Niels and thank you so much for keeping the podcast going throughout the tour. I'm actually heading out on a ride here and going to listen to the Mont Ventoux stage. So say hi to everyone and thanks so much, Richard. I'm still tickled, Richard, by the image of a young Niels Pollitt in a giant lotto jersey given to him by... Oh, or HCC or, or something. Yeah, yeah, by Andre Greipel, sort of flapping behind him like a windsock, toughening him up, you know? Um, that extra drag making a young, a teenage boy uh, into a man. But uh, Pollitt, he had a number of years at Katusha Alperson and then went to Israel Startup Nation for one season and then switched to Bora Hansgrohe. Um, clearly... Uh, you know, a classics engine. You mentioned the second place in Paris Roubaix, but fifth in the Tour of Flanders, seventh as well in Paris Roubaix in 2018. He's been sixth in the E3 uh, Classic. He's built for the cobbled races, and riders like that are very, very dangerous from breakaways like this. Um, particularly, you know, it takes the real strong men to get away from anyone with cross tailwind um, finishes, doesn't it? I mean, that's the that's the hardest. Uh, um, way to get away and, and, and stay away although everyone also says it's the hardest condition to chase in it's just much harder because it's so much faster isn't it and there's there's the margins are, are, are even tinier than they are when it's a, a headwind finish and it just comes down to uh, the sort of you know willpower almost or brute strength but it was an impressive finish by Pollitt you know he, he played the numbers game perfectly didn't he he was you know there were a couple of teams in there who had, um, who had numbers Lotto Sudal had uh, uh, Richard Van Moor, uh, sorry, Brent Van Moor, and uh, Harry Sweeney in there. And uh, R- Richard Van Moor was, uh, <laughs> was did actually ride this morning. Uh, did Richard, I yeah. mean, I actually finished two hours eight minutes ahead of Niels Pollitt, so technically I'm the winner of today's stage. I mean, are you doing the alternative, alternative tour? I'm doing the alternative, alternative tour. Yeah. Yeah, but well, I mean, li- like you, uh, Richard, uh, uh, Niels Pollitt is a big boy, you know, and and uh, well, he's, he's, he's almost two meters tall. Uh, is one He's one one ninety two, and uh, and and that's it. Struck me that this cut this type of riders, you know, like really big boys, and it's it's not so he's not so old. He's on he's twenty seven, which is normally the age when a uh, you know in the old days the the age when a rider would uh, ripen up and and reach uh, maturity, and but it. it it always strikes me that these type of riders don't have many chances in the in the cycling calendar these days to express themselves because they're not climbers. Obviously, they're too big to sprint, and they they really need to to, to see their chances either in the hard classics of the winter or like today in a in a hard uh, Grand Tour stage. And it's great, you know, that Nilspoli sees his chance because you know, these type of riders they're impressive, really good, extremely good ruler, as we say, you know. Uh, uh, but often used that 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 strength he has is often used to help our, yeah, our exactly. teammate, and, you know, and, and not and to win absolutely. You know. uh, Thomas Vokler on French TV called him un, un rôle toujours and always, you know, pulling and and uh, yeah, it's it, it's you know like 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 you know pulling horse in a way and uh, and and. I mean, I love these type of riders. I mean, Tim de Klerk or all these guys. I mean, the big guys in the peloton. And unfortunately, they don't have their chances too very often. So credits to uh, Pollitt for once uh, seizing his chance. Two big guys had the chance to express themselves today. (laughs) (laughs) One a big engine, one. The other one just big. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Let's hear from Connor Swift, shall we? Our audio diarist. He's uh, sent in another cracking entry. One of the highlights of the tour for me so far has been Connor Swift's dispatches. Um, fantastic entertaining. 
<laughs> this one starts off brilliantly, so we'll, we'll, we're going to play just a little bit of it. We'll, you'll hear the whole diary entry in the next Kilometre Zero dedicated to the, the audio diarist. Um, Connor might have to do a bit of heavy lifting because Victor Campanart, we've lost one. Uh, we're man down. Does he refer to the cold do whatever again? No, he doesn't, <laughs> but uh, he was very active today. He rode well, you know, not easy to get in these breaks, especially when they form in, in crosswinds effectively. Yeah, he's a strong rider, um, and to f even follow Pollitt when he did showed strength as well. I think he paid for that, but well, let's hear what he has to say. There we have it, stage 12 in the breakaway. I was going to talk about yesterday's stage, but I can't really remember what happened. Because <sighs> I went a bit too deep today. Uh, oh, yeah, buddy, yeah. Two times up one one two. <laughs> well, that was a... Ah, uh, oh, that's it. I've remembered it all now. That's why I didn't have bloody great legs today. All that climbing yesterday, bloody ridiculous. Going on to today, the, the breakaway, you know, we said at the start in the team meeting, uh, today might be a breakaway day and it's just a case if you know follow follow the big groups and follow especially uh, quick step if they want to try and get in the break uh, it was a super nervous start because we had about 8k of uh, 8k of crosswind uh, at the start of the stage so you know the neutral felt like a bloody uh, sprint finish everyone fighting for little millimeters in the peloton and then the neutral ended up getting extended you know, normally we'd have 800 metres turn left and then we've got a crosswind for around 6 or 7k, but the neutral zone got extended to the left-hand corner. And then bang, flag dropped in the gutter. Oh, what a day. That's how you want to start off the stage, isn't it? Crosswind, everyone's panicking in the gutter, fighting for position, trying to stay in the top of the 20 riders, trying to ride through and off. You know, people switching left and right, almost crashing and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, navigated through the first bit of the stage pretty safe and sound. And then after that, uh, about 15k in, that's when the attacks started coming. And you could kind of sense, you know, a big group was going to go up the road. And uh, I think I tagged uh, Toon's uh, wheel uh, going up this little, little little climb. And then before you knew it, I was in some pretty strong company. And then it was all about the final and, you know, choosing basically choosing three riders who I needed to follow. About 40k out, uh, Pollitt uh, tacked, and I thought it was, you know, a long one, but, you know, you don't want to give him an inch, basically. He attacked, and I was near his wheel, and I was like, right, got to go now. Followed his attack, and then Mezgek uh, came across, and there was three of us, but, oh, Pollitt was just on another level. I was, uh, you know, full gas just in his wheel. Maybe he had a 55 or something on and I was on a 54, but I don't think it had made any difference. He was flicking his elbow out, telling me to come through and just, <laughs> I was probably slowing him down more than anything, but you know, that's how it is sometimes, you know, if you're not on the, the best day and that's at that moment there, I knew oh, the legs aren't that great today. Uh, and it's a, it's a shame, you know, you, you, you fought at the beginning of the stage, these opportunities don't come round often. And then you find yourself, you know, playing for the win of a stage for the tour of the of a stage in the Tour de France, and uh, when you realise you're not on the greatest day leg-wise, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's tough mentally. Well, we're here in Nîmes, um, the place we're recording tonight. We're here at the invitation of Jerry Patterson, a listener in Nîmes. You got in touch on Twitter. A friend of the podcast, but a friend of the podcast. You, you got in touch. Why did you get in of, touch? Sort of Tell us why you got in touch. So, uh, a couple of years ago, I. Um, well, I found you guys a few years ago, I suppose, and then a, a couple of years ago, you were in Nîmes for the for the Tour de France, 
And you happen to uh, do your podcast at my local Irish pub. And well, we tried to. Yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> exactly. You tried to do that, and um, you didn't uh, have a great time there. I don't know where you en- ended up eventually, uh, but um, Francois, in particular, had uh, some harsh words to say about <laughs> to say about well, people in the South in general. Even even though Francois lives in Marseille, but uh, and uh, and I felt bad about my Irish pub because they're they're good enough guys, but I I could also understand why you had a hard time with them we got them on a bad night obviously i mean we all have maybe, maybe we not but bad uh, nights. <laughs> we're having a bad night tonight because it's taken them an hour and a half to get across name uh, but well it's very kind of you to arrange for us to come somewhere else and to i think you've you've guarded a table for us for an hour and a half then we turn up and tell you that it's too loud and so the the people the people who run the 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 the, the pub here or bar have very kindly moved us to a corner where it's much quieter. So you've done a fantastic job. And I think single-handedly you've restored Neem in our minds and eyes. And saved tonight's podcast, frankly. Saved the podcast. It wasn't all me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, my partner, my partner John, made your uh, dis- dinner res- reservations, although I Fantastic. think maybe, maybe you have two now. Uh, you, run a cycling, <laughs> you, you, you run a cycling business here. The least we can do is offer you a, a plug for oh, your cycling business. <laughs> So we we have a it's it's myself and my American friend uh, John who uh, run a a very small cycling tour business called Forty Four Five Cycling Tours. Forty Four Five being the um, longitude and latitude of uh, Movantu, where we do where we used to do most of our stuff um, because it's Movantu. We don't do much out of Nîmes. Because it's Neem. <laughs> There's not a lot of people who come here to ride. And where can people find you? What's your on on forty four five cyclingtours dot com. Yeah. yeah, and we uh, we do tours in the Alps, the Pyrenees, the Cévennes, which is our our favorite place to ride, uh, and the the Dolomites uh, as well. For now, Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport for supporting the podcast since 2016. Very grateful indeed to them. Um, and if you want 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. How many uh, products did you get through on your 90 Quite a few. I, I snaffled a few from La Farm de Belug, the... Uh, the, the absolutely lovely place that we've stayed the last two nights in the shadows of Mont Ventoux, um, run by Spencer and Karen. They were fantastic hosts, really looked after us. And they've got a really cycling-friendly setup there. Um, swimming pool as well, but he's got a very well-equipped uh, cave for bikes with bike hangers and posters and all the science and sport products you could possibly want. So I, I took my... Uh, my drinks and my bars, and uh, didn't again didn't contribute to the honesty bar for that. So thanks very <laughs> the much. The dishonesty for that, bar, Spencer. But I like to think that he's been using the the discount code, and so it's kind of in our debt a little bit. But uh, I mean, that's exactly <laughs> how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, we're very very grateful to Spencer and Karen. If you're a cyclist and you want to cycle in a fantastic part of the world for cycling, um, we've heard from Jerry, obviously. Who? Well, it's it's the same. We're in the same neck of the woods, really. But Spencer and Karen and their setup 
near Mont Ventoux is absolutely brilliant. Our friend Hannah Tripp stayed there a couple of years ago, loved it, and she recommended it, and it certainly lived up to expectations, so thank you to them. So, Lionel, the question today is, why did it not... Why, why could Mark Cavendish not go for the record that he's not going for? Yeah, it's a really good question, that, because everyone I spoke to at the start this morning, including Rod Ellingworth, Mark Cavendish's long-time, uh, well, mentor and one-time coach and friend, said, well, he's going to do it today, isn't he? I mean, in typical Rod fashion, he thought the stage was going to be a sprint finish. Even with the crosswinds, tailwinds, you know, that we see these stages, yeah, there's a bit of chaos, maybe there might be some splits towards the end, but it will all come back down to a sprint. But the only way it's going to come back down to a sprint if somebody takes the initiative to do the chasing. And clearly, once the brake went away with powerful riders in it, no one wanted to do that. Um, everyone would have been looking at De Kerning Quickstep because of Mark Cavendish, but they had Julian Alaphilippe in the brake. Now, me looking at that, I think, well, that's not really enough reason to let it go out so far that you can't possibly bring it back. So at the finish, I spoke to Michael Morkoff, Mikel Merku of De Kerning Quickstep, one of the riders who uh, participates in the lead-out train. You know, they've obviously got Tim de Klerk to do a lot of the closing down. But I asked him a few questions about uh, why it didn't come down to the much-anticipated sprint. Yeah, it just happened that all the teams who was interested in having a sprint had a guy in the first group. Uh, we had a very good card in Julian, so uh, obviously for us it was uh, was a good good to let such a break go. But, I mean, the odds of Mark Cavendish winning a sprint here would probably be higher than Julian Alaphilippe even winning from a smallish group on, on these roads. So, um, I mean, what were you thinking back in the bunch? Was there ever a moment where you thought maybe we'll work? No, not at all. I mean, uh, we have the world champion in our team. He was in a breakaway. Uh, he certainly have a very great chance uh, to win such a stage. Um, on the same time, uh, we also just have eight riders and um, we can't uh, afford to, to spend a lot of energy uh, every day. So um, we have to pick our fights and uh, today was a day where uh, it was good for us to rest a bit and, and let, let's see what Julian could get out of, out of a breakaway. And lastly, we're all thinking about the record that Mark Cavendish doesn't like to talk about, but um, we think it might be on. Is there a chance that tomorrow may be a sprint finish in Carcassonne? Yeah, I think tomorrow could be a chance for a sprint, that's for sure. Um, I think also stage 19 and 21 is an option, so uh, I think we have some good uh, possibilities left in this race. How was he climbing yesterday on Von 2? He climbed pretty well. I mean, compared to a lot of other guys, uh, I was quite impressed about how he's, he's been climbing, climbing in this tour. Uh, he's doing really well, and um, I'm not concerned for him. Interesting from uh, Merku there, talking about the De Koenig quick step not wanting to do the chasing all on their own obviously if they'd gone to the front they would have been setting themselves up for the whole stage my point there to Murkoff Merku was Julian Alaphilippe from that group of 13 as brilliant as he is as classy as he is on a basically a sprinter's finish would he win against those riders would he be able to get into the small enough split I wasn't sure as it turned out he he didn't he'd been off up the road um, most of the day at Mont Ventoux as well, as well. Yeah. You know, he's done a lot of work in this race, helping Mark Cavendish um, leading out and closing things down as well. And so I wondered, you know, perhaps Mark Cavendish himself didn't fancy it today and wanted a, a slightly easier day. I mean, he might spare the team all of that work. But then again, the flip side of that is, if you don't want to do any chasing, 
today of these two days would have been the one to do it because it's only 159 kilometers tomorrow is over 200 kilometers as you say Francois a sprint in Carcassonne is not you know a given very rarely ends in a sprint there breakaway um, is the favorite tomorrow they're not likely to want to close down everything on a 200 kilometer stage so it's an interesting one maybe he just doesn't want the record <laughs> oh, come on too much respect for yeah. uh, the guy we can't name <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think another factor and an important one uh, and it's interesting because we, we, we have kept say, saying everybody keeps saying that you know Team UAE Emirates okay a little bit better than last year but not controlling the, the peloton and they did actually control the chase today. And my impression, and if you look at who was chasing, who was leading the, the chase or the peloton uh, uh, all day, it was Team UAE Emirates. So obviously Pogacar said, look, we got 13 guys in front. Almost every team is there. You know, okay, you're going to have a stage win, uh, whatever. You know, let's we had two climbs of the month, Vantu yesterday. I kind of cracked. We, we never know how... How much he did, but and 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 uh, my impression is that he's, he asserted himself as a boss a little bit and said, "Look, let's take it easy. It's windy. We will be in uh, quickly. Uh, you know, think of your hotel, your the nice shower and massage, and let the, these guys go for it and leave me alone." That's my impression. So the tractor had a day off. Tractor was left in its shed today. Yeah, and I guess they, with the exception of Alaphilippe, they did maybe have a slightly easier day. Although the riders hate it when you say that because I'm sure it was well, still quite hard but um, yeah I mean the know, start was frenetic wasn't yeah. it I mean everyone panicking about and the that wind was a what factor too be because it, it meant through that process of the brake forming the way it did it meant that there were big engines in there mm. there were powerful riders and you know they weren't they weren't just breakaway hopefuls they were strong riders and so that also makes it harder to bring back but once it got to five, six minutes, seven minutes, that's then a conscious decision not to chase that and say we're not we're giving up a stage win that Mark Cavendish, given his sprinting legs, um, must have been uh, confident of, of pulling pulling in the victory. I mean, you know, he's still sprinting very well as far as we know. Yesterday will have been tough, but as we heard there from Merku, he thinks that Cavendish is climbing pretty well. So it's a really difficult one to kind of understand why. Um, why they didn't go for it but I guess because it's 120 kilometers to go when the decision has to be made they either had to react then because once it went to 11 minutes Francois we said well that's it there's even if they got on the front now they might bring it down get it to within three or four and then it would have been a real taxing chase so better to let it go maybe yeah. and see. We we're, we're on the road and I checked the best placed rider in the in the GC and there was Sergio Inao and it was 15 minutes down so obviously he was in everybody's interest before you remember uh, we're, we're getting closer to the weekend and it's not going to be a weekend it's going to be almost a week of Pyrenees you know uh, looming so uh, I, I guess you know everybody thought well we had the Ventoux yesterday uh, wh wh why not call it a truce you know for one day and I know, Lionel, you don't like speculation, but there was a moment when we thought, and what if Andre Greipel wins this, you know? <laughs> after after the return of Mark Cavendish, the day when he could have broke, well, he leveled the record that doesn't exist. Uh, you know, the, his, his heart rival of the old days, winning winning the stage would have been fun, but it never, it didn't happen. And had it happened, Greipel would have been the second oldest stage winner in the history of the Tour de France which who's the oldest I don't know um, Pino, Pino Cerami ah. so there you are 
That leads us nicely on to a bit of French culture, Francois. Oh, yeah. Do tell. Do tell. Uh, so hang on a I mean, your song last night went down a storm. I think the most popular one yet. People loved really? a bit of yeah. super furry animals. Well, I mean, that's a Welsh... Uh, I know the Welsh lot, you know, lots of Welsh guys listen to the uh, second podcast and obviously went well. Uh, okay, we start with word of the day because it, it's, it's quite obvious in a way. We're in Nîmes and the word of the day is denim. Denim? Yeah, well, I mean, I see Jerry, who is with us and lives has lived in Nîmes for the past 13 years. He's heard the story many times before. But in case you didn't know, denim, like the, the things I'm wearing just now, you know, uh, means... Denim. It's, denim is from Nîmes. You know, some guys say Nîmes. I've, I've known a few, you know, Britons saying Nîmes. Well, are you going to Nîmes? No, I'm going to Nîmes. So, denim, uh, because the cloth used to make denim trousers came from Nîmes. And actually, uh, originally, they, they were actually made from silk and wool coming from the nearby Seven Hills, and notably Florac. I'm sure, uh, Jerry, you, 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 you go riding up to Florac. I mean, the roads up there, the road to Le Vigan, all these places, very, very nice. Um, and, and the success of the denim turned Nîmes into a textile center. And actually, uh, in, in the, from the 18th century onwards, Uh, Nîmes was kind of the capital of textile, of, uh, textile industry in France, just after Paris and Lyon. Um, these days, uh, you know, because of the heritage, uh, there's a new brand and a couple of others called Atelier de Nîmes, who's trying to revive the old denim fabrics as it was when it conquered the world. You know, because actually the the, the denim I'm wearing is not the the actual you know vintage the name and so that that as you know we're, we're in the world trying to resurrect the, the you know the, the, the original and apparently that brand and others are trying to revive the, the real denim as it was in the late 18th century this was the word of the day any comments guy about this no I didn't I mean I, I didn't know that <laughs> so you, I didn't know that. you probably it, didn't I know, did that. know that uh, oh, yeah. denim originated from name but I no. didn't. I didn't. You, I suppose you thought it, they came from Levi. Yeah, I. Th <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I thought it's just something cowboys made. <laughs> anyway, the cheese of the day. Uh, once again, if you live in the area, has to be Pelardon. I mean, it's uh, in the seven. Every. I mean, it's it's done around Nîmes and uh, on all the seven region, and um, and every kind of village and farmer, you know, will claim to make the best Pelardon uh, around. Uh, Pelardon is, is, a, is a very classic, uh, you know, goat cheese, round, white, and you, some guys, you, well, the, the real fans of Pelardon go for the, you know, old stuff, when you, 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 can, you can keep it for like months and years, and it, and it, and it, it ends up being like stone, you know, and, and you, you, you can actually lose a tooth. Uh, by eating Pelardon, uh, I, I I like the uh, the fresh version, the you know the younger uh, uh, Pelardon when it, when it's when it's still creamy and uh, everything. But that that's you know apparently uh, in the old days uh, in Roman times, Pliny the Elder uh, wrote that cheese from the Neman Seven region was the best in the old Roman Empire. Was it re was it was it you know was he referring to Pelardon? Nobody knows. Uh, anyway. You, you you want if you come to the area, you, you, you there's no uh, there's no avoiding Pelardon. It's it's really you know the cheese of the area. Um, this was for the cheese of the day. A, a curious fact of the day. Uh, we went through you know we didn't have time to really. Uh, well, I suppose if you're watching TV with with 
kind of very little happening because uh, well there was a break and no chase. Uh, there was plenty of time to uh, you know on TV and that to, to 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 discuss the curiosities of of the uh, on on the course. And we went through. Re remember the the the, cav the cavern of Pont d'Arc, uh, where we had the, the, the time trial won by Tom Dumoulin. Uh, and, and actually, cycling goes very often now these, nowadays uh, in the uh, in the Ardèche, in the gorges of the Ardèche, which is a great area to to go cycling. Actually, beautiful uh, landscapes and uh, up and down roads, and um, and and so, so there, there's lots of caves in the in in, in this area. And and uh, the, 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 a, a little story I read recently that struck me was a, a major cave was recently discovered by speleologists in the, in a small village of Barjac, and it was at kilometer 69 in the stage today, and 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 it was filled with many rare concretions, some of the largest cups in the world, I'm told, and and it was immediately decided with the agreement of the town hall and the international specialists that this cave would be placed under total protection. Meaning that we'll never get to see it ever, ever. No. Wow. wow. Just before we finish here in Nîmes, a cycling denim um, connection. Richard, you'll remember the Carrera jeans team from the late eighties and, and the early nineties, sponsored by the Carrera company in Italy that made denim products, jeans and jackets. And uh, until I think around about nineteen ninety or ninety one, the UCI had a rule that shorts had to be black. I mean, if you think the sock rule is ridiculous now, the UCI have had ridiculous rules since the start of cycling. Um, but shorts had to be black. And then they lifted that rule and a few teams went for coloured shorts and it led to a real kind of breakout. And the Carrera team in the sort of Chiapucci era went for a denim look uh, short, which was pretty striking. I mean, you can get them on eBay if you, uh, if you look for them. Um, it's the sort of thing I'd imagine you'd, you'd wear, Rich. No, no, um, no, uh, no, absolutely. Um, another little thing, uh, we had a conversation today, Lionel, about Lachlan Morton and his alternative tour. I think our conversation was inspired by my alternative alternative tour, which means basically riding my bike a little bit every few days. Um, but Lachlan Morton is riding uh, ahead of the race and he's riding the whole route, including transfers. Did a phenomenal distance today. And... It, he's been getting quite a lot of coverage for it and, and the question that, that arose was is he actually, for his sponsor EF uh, Nippo, getting more publicity for that than Rigoberta Uran is getting for being on the virtual podium? I, I would say he is. I would say you're probably right, yeah. In social media world, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I don't know I how mean, that translates. I mean, he's getting coverage on, on TV and, and yeah. newspapers as well. I mean, And, and, it, and it, it, it made me wonder whether next year everybody will be doing an alternative yeah. tour and maybe only three or four riders will be riding the actual so, tour. So there will be 195 riders all competing to get into the same campsite every night. That's <laughs> right. And I mean, we're talking of an alternative tour and a guy who was ahead of the race uh, since we're in Nîmes, I mean, I, I can't, we can't not mention uh, a guy dear to uh, Lionel's art as well as Abdelkader Zaf, who in... <laughs> In the stage in 1950, remember he was he was alone in the in in the leads, and um, he was uh, you know he was given some wine. Well, that was that was the, the well the the story at the time. He was given some wine by by guys on on, on the road. It was very very hot that day, and uh, well, being a Muslim, he was not used to to drink wine. And he apparently uh, well he well it's not apparently that's a fact. He, uh, he he went back on his bike and and rode again, but uh, uh, you know. 
uh, in the wrong direction, coming back, and he, he actually. What, what was the concussion protocol in those days? That's right, none. And he, he met, he actually met the peloton. We were very surprised to see uh, Zaf, you know, coming back to, to see them when he had been away. Uh, well, apparently, from from various sources, he was told later that uh, maybe what he what he would have taken that that day was not local wine, but. Who knows? We should have a, an advisory warning here. Wine is not an energy drink, okay? Wine is not an energy drink. I rode through Chateauneuf de Pap today, Lionel, and I'd like to I'd like to contest that assertion. No, I wouldn't. I but it's a very very pretty little place. I had a little I explored the the town centre. I bet yeah, I bet Lachlan's not doing that on his alternative tour. He's kinda of racing against the clock, isn't he? I can take my on my alternative alternative tour, I can stop and take some photographs and take it not award winning photographs. Just bog-standard <laughs> photographs and uh, enjoy the sight. Anyway, let's wrap it up for tonight. Uh, tomorrow, uh, another day for Mark Cavendish to not go for the record that doesn't exist. Song of the day. I, oh. oh, yeah. We, we, if we don't do the song of the day, uh, well, it's about... There'll be complaints. Yeah, there'll be complaints. I need you, for, for this song of the day, I need you to hold my mic. Okay. I, as long as it, you don't need me to provide no, no. backing vocals or anything. Well, no, well I'd, I, I would actually love you to do so. And and, and if you could provide well, back, you ready for this? Back, back, back in rhythm. This has got to be better than football's coming home, Lionel. <laughs> so we went through caves today, the, the cavern of uh, Pont d'Arc. Uh, there were lots of caves along the way, so we, we mentioned pastry and, you know, and this song is called Neanderthal Man. And it goes I am a Neanderthal man. You're a Neanderthal girl. Let's make Neanderthal love in our Neanderthal world. I'm a Neanderthal man. You're a Neanderthal girl. Let's make Neanderthal love in our Neanderthal world. In a Neanderthal world, in a Neanderthal world. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Somebody, Thank you somebody's very just come over to give you some money in, in a little hat, <laughs> Francois. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Francois. <laughs> Thank you, Lionel. Thanks, Rich. Thanks. <laughs>